This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Well, how's everybody doing? Oh, wow. Wow. I appreciate the uh, like one. There we go. So this is a weekly thing we're working on, right, is this, uh, this response and like engaging with one another. Um, how, how is everybody? Good, great. Okay. I mean, it's okay for it to not be, but just engagement is a good thing, right? It feels really isolating, you know, to be like, oh, and nothing and just crickets. So, um, so glad that you're here. I know that uh, for many students, some are already home for Christmas break. Others will be going home soon. I know that for many of us as a whole, uh, Austin is still like, it's not home. Like it's just, you, you, you'll be here, but then you're going somewhere else. You're going home for Christmas break. Um, and so we, we get that. Um, I'm supposed to save this to the end, but I'm going to go ahead and jump to the front end. So we'll have worship here next week at five o'clock as well. Um, and then we will not have a Christmas Eve service. If you're in town and you want to be a part of a Christmas Eve service, Eastside Community is having a Christmas Eve service. At what time, Holland? Five o'clock. Perfect. So if you want to worship somewhere on Christmas Eve, come here um, with Eastside Community, five o'clock on Christmas Eve. And then December 30th, we will also not have services. Uh, and so part of that is just to rest and to take a week where we step outside of the normal routine and intentionally rest and spend time with the Lord. Um, sometimes just changing up the normal routine is good to recalibrate our minds and our, our thoughts um, back to the Lord. So no services on December 30th, and then starting in January, every week in January, 5 p.m. Uh, here. So hopefully uh, that, that will be, it's on the website as well, and it's super clear uh, there, so hopefully you'll have all your questions answered. Um, one thing that I've noticed, and I'm sure everybody would agree with, that is rapidly disappearing in our culture is good customer service. Like it's just increasingly disappearing, um, good customer service. And so uh, more and more, I feel like there's this almost expectation of like, oh, you know, like this sense of entitlement, like I'm not supposed to serve you or belittle myself. Um, and, and so it just kind of leaves you to, to really fend for yourself uh, when it comes to things. Um, we, we went to a restaurant a while back, uh, and I won't tell you which restaurant because I actually like it. It was just maybe a bad day. Um, but we order food, and it should have been like a, I mean, it was one of those you order at the counter and then it comes out shortly later. Uh, and, and so 20 minutes go by and nothing. And so I go up to the counter and I'm like, hey, just checking on that. And they're like, oh my gosh, yeah, it's coming really soon. We just got really busy and we got behind. It's coming soon. I was like, okay, no big deal. And like, not a problem. Um, I was a waiter. I understand it. Um, and so I go and sit back down and then we're just sitting there and, and nothing, right? And so I go back up again and she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't really know what's happening with the, the kitchen. Like they're just behind on things. And I'm like, Okay, cool, right? You know, so I go somebody down, come back again, still nothing. And they're like, oh, you know, well, you know, someone had ordered a special burger and they needed something not on it and then it was put on it. And I was just like, oh, okay. And they're like, it'll be out soon, right? So, the, I mean, it was like a 30-minute wait for something that probably should have been 10 minutes. And in all of this, I just kept thinking, like, she just kept deflecting ownership, right? Like, first they got busy and then it was the kitchen. And then it was because we ordered a special burger, right? And it was just all this, like, no, no, deflecting ownership. Never once, like taking care of the situation or, or anything, right? It was just always this, like, let me, let me deflect from, from me actually doing something wrong and taking ownership to fix this, and, and let me put it on someone else. Um, anybody else ever experienced customer service like that? Cool, just me. Thank you again. We got we're just, just, just the two of us, right? And so um, 
I don't know, Stephanie and I talk about, anytime I see good customer service, I'll tell the kids, I'll be like, look, that's good customer service. Do not be someone that grows up and is entitled and expects everyone else to fix their own problems. Take ownership of your problems. I'm sorry is a good thing to learn how to say and to take ownership and fix it, right? Because it just, I feel like it's less and less and less where there's good customer service. Um, we're, we're concerned with ourself and our own image and how we think we look to others. And so rather than just owning a problem saying, you know what, that's on me, I got this. We're gonna deflect and push off and, and try to make sure that it falls somewhere else, right? And, but it's not, because it's not just customer service, it's just people. As people, that's, that's how we're naturally wired is that we, we're selfish. We're selfish and we wanna look out for ourselves first and we wanna protect our own image, we wanna protect our own name and so we'll, we'll deflect and, and we'll, we'll, we'll push off and we won't take the position of serving others because we just want to boost ourselves and lift ourselves up. Like, it, that's just kind of our natural bent is we're prone to looking out for ourselves before others. We're prone to looking out for ourselves before others. It, it started in Genesis 3, right? In that first sin we talked about when we started this series and walking through the story of the Bible is that Adam and Eve took their eyes off of God and they chose to live for themselves. Rather than trusting and following God, rather than worshiping and loving him, they chose to love themselves before God. And from that, what happens? Man, they start putting, pushing each other down. God walks in and Adam's like, hey, no, 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 the woman did it, right? She did it, wasn't me, she did it. The woman that you gave me, she did it. And Eve is like, no, no, it wasn't me. It was the Satan's fault. Like, like we start immediately, we don't take ownership and we start pushing off to other people because we become selfish. Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, there's this line in there that I think describes humanity so well. They said, let us build a tower to the heavens and make a name for ourselves. And I just think that's so often our heart. Like we want to make a name for ourselves. We want our, na our names to be known and to be seen and to be heard and to be thought positively of. And, and we're so quick to do whatever we have to do in order to protect our names. Here's what I want you to do. I know that, I know that selfishness is, 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 is so common, but I also know that there's people in your lives that are incredibly selfless. There's people who have served you well. And so take just a second right now and think of the flip side. Think of those people who have served you well. Think of someone by name that is selfless and has cared for you and has looked out for your interests before their own. Just think about it. I'm hoping that you have somebody that comes to mind. And then whatever you need to do, if you need to pull out your phone, if you need to write a note on your hand, whatever you need to do, tonight, send them a message and just thank them. Just thank them for being a servant and for caring for you. I mean, just... The, a message out of nowhere that says, hey, I'm, I'm grateful for you. Gosh, that means a lot. Like that carries a lot of weight. And so whoever it is that you think of that's like, man, they, they are selfless and they are a model of a servant. Would you just send them a message tonight? I think about my parents and who busted it to pay for me to go to college, who, who, who let go of their own things so that they could give to me. Right? I think about our old pastor, Ross, who carried the weight of pastoring the church so well and just served me incredibly well. Who, who are people that you think of and would you send them a message and just say, say thanks. Thanks for loving me. Thanks for serving me. 
Thank you. Does that sound, can we do that? Yes, thank you. Thank you, yes, yes. I'm gonna ask questions throughout the night. By the end of this, we're gonna get there and we're gonna be talking with each other and it's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. The spirit of Christmas is the spirit of selflessness. Like it is the spirit that says it's better to give than receive. Everybody has heard that from the time you're this big, right? It's better to give than receive. The spirit of Christmas is the spirit of selflessness. So rather than focusing on what we're so naturally to do, which is be selfish, Let's look to the incredible model of Jesus, the selfless one who came not to be served, but to serve. So Mark chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there with me. Um, If you don't have a Bible, there's some right back there. Feel free to hop up and go grab one. Um, If you want to take it home with you, uh, take it home. If you want to take it home and wrap it up and give it to somebody as a gift, take it and give it away. Uh, We just want people to have the scriptures, uh, the word of God. What, what I say and what people say is going to fall short. The word of God will stand forever. And so we always want this to be a priority of what we, we come out of. And so if you don't have one, please feel free to grab one. Mark chapter 10. Let's read it together and then um, we'll just talk about it for a bit. So starting in verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him, to Jesus, and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Bold, bold statement. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left hand in your glory. And Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, Yep, we're able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink. And the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. And when the ten, the other disciples, heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called to them, called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. God, we pray that you would speak to us through your words. They are living, they are active, they are not just words in a book. They are your words given to us to know you and to know how to follow you. And so Holy Spirit, speak to us through these words. In Jesus we ask, amen. So we've got the context that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem with his 12 disciples. And, and in this, he, in the previous verses, you see that Jesus tells them in verse 33, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man, talking about himself, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. So Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem to carry the heaviest weight ever, the sins of the world. And he tells them, hey, we're going to get there and here's what's going to happen. It's going to go south real quick. And I'm going to be beaten and I'm going to be humiliated and I'm going to be killed. But don't worry, three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. And so he's having this incredibly serious conversation, 
right? Like this conversation where he's pouring out his heart. And we see when Jesus is in the garden, he's not looking forward to the cross. It's not something he's excited for. He knows the weight that will come from it, the stress and the anxiety. And so Jesus is having this conversation. And then James and John decide, hey, this is a good time to bring something up with Jesus. Matthew actually says it was their mom who brought it up for them. I guess Mark was trying to give them a little more like credibility, and so he left that detail out. But the fact is, Jesus says, hey, I'm fixing to go die. And James and John are like, hey, now that we're talking about the end, will you do something for me? I need a favor from you. Like, could you, could you, could you? Let's talk about this for a second, Jesus. Like, let me make sure I get this request in. Like, can you imagine just the selfishness and the, the ego to think like, it'd be like someone sitting you down, like a parent or something or an uncle and be like, hey, so I got some news and I've got about four months to live. Like, man, so what's gonna happen with the truck after you, you die? Like, do you think that big green egg, like somebody's gotta take it, right? Maybe, uh, you, right? Like, but that's, the, that's what happens here. They, 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 they're so insensitive. And we look at it and we'd be like, okay, come on. Like, I, like idiots, right? Who does that? And yet how often do we, instead of being present with someone and listening to them, are we totally just doing our own thing? Right? Like someone's pouring out our heart and we're thinking about tomorrow. Like, oh, what, I need to get this done. Or someone's really trying to talk to us and we're trying to like, the, the, um, the, the term is called FUB, to snub somebody with your phone. It is, a, it is a psychological term that had never existed until the world we stink and live in today where we're so attached to this dumb phone that we can't even look someone in the eye and we're trying to do two things at once. Like what kind of consideration is that of people? All that says is, hey, I know you're important, but I'm a little more important, and so I really have to knock this out while I'm trying to listen with you at the same time. Let's just call it what it is. And so maybe someone's not telling us that they're fixing to die, but at the same time, how often do we treat people like James and John did? Hey, I know what's going on, but let me go ahead and take this moment to ask for a favor. Like, let me, let me work my angle into this. Let me, let me work myself into this conversation. How often do we treat people this way? Like James and John did. And so they, they say, hey, I mean, I still think this is a bold statement. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Right? Like that's a bold statement, which at the same time we see Jesus say, whatever you pray in, the, in my will, my father will give. So I, maybe, maybe they're thinking something along those lines. But, but regardless, Jesus responds, what do you want me to do for you? Like, I know how I respond when I feel snubbed by someone. Like when I'm trying to have a conversation, I'm like, they're not really here. Mike has to tell me all the time. He's like, hey man, are you here? Are you with me? Like, it's true. It's true. Like, I'm guilty of it all the time. He's like, come back here. Come back to me, you know? Like, I know how it feels. And my natural response is defensiveness, right? Like, who do you think you are? I'm, I'm trying, like, no, don't ask me a question. Don't ask me to do something for you right now. That's my natural response. And yet Jesus, he says, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And he said, they say, 
Give us a seat, one at your right and one at your left in your glory. They're, they're jockeying for position. At least they realize that it's going to be him on the throne, right? It's, it's him in glory. And so they get that part right. Like, Jesus, you're the king and you're the one on the throne. And that's rightly so. And your glory is coming up. But hey, would you consider like maybe we can be your number one and number two? Like maybe we can sit right next to you. Like the spotlight is going to shine on you, Jesus, but the outer perimeters of the spotlight, maybe they can shine on us a little bit too. They're, they're lobbying for prominence and for status and for position in the kingdom of God. That's what they want. Jesus, make us great. Like you're the great one, and then we'll kind of, we'll pick up where you, where you slack off a little bit, and we'll be great too. Like our names will be kind of like Jesus James and John and then other people, right? Like they're, they're lobbying for their position and their prominence in the kingdom of God. They want to be great. They're concerned with themselves. They're concerned with their own name. They want to make a name for themselves. They're concerned with their status. They're concerned with their end game. So often, man, we're, we're just like that, where we treat Jesus as a means to an end. We, we treat Jesus as a means to an end. I don't want to go to hell. So Jesus, I'm going to follow you because I really want to go to heaven. But what I'm interested in is heaven. Not so much you, Jesus. You're just my ticket to heaven. Man, I, I want to have life. And I hear that this Jesus guy can give it. I'm not so interested in Jesus, but I'm interested in life. So maybe if I can leverage Jesus and use Jesus, I can get to life. I want to be free from whatever it is, this temptation, this sin that is weighing me down. And Romans 8 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I want no condemnation. And so I can just go through Jesus to get what I want. That's what they're doing. They're just using Jesus as a means to their end and not realizing that Jesus is the end. There is no heaven without Jesus. It, it doesn't exist. There is no freedom without Jesus. There is no healing without Jesus. And so often we look through Jesus to whatever is to come and we forget and we don't realize that Jesus is all that we need. He is the end, not a means to an end. And so how often do you come in here and you're like, I want to feel something. I need to get something. I need to hear something. Have y'all seen the, the John Christ video on Virtual Reality Church? Like, I wish I should, I should if I would have thought of it, I would have played it. It is so spot on to where our culture is going. Oh, you don't want to wake up and go to church anymore? Just pop on this virtual reality and you can go to church right in your in the comfort of your own home. Oh, you don't like that musical preference? Well, then swipe to your right and you'll get this musical preference. Oh, you want a sermon on acceptance? Well, then pick your sermon on. And it's just this kind of, we, we, we approach these things like worship as what can I get out of this? Man, I really hope that they played that song I like. I really hope the preacher delivers the word that I can feel something with. And we forget that the reason we meet here is to commune with God. That's it. And if we miss that, we miss it all. And they're just treating Jesus like a means to an end. And we do it too, so often. And we've got to realize that Jesus is the end. Man, no, nothing else is, heaven is not heaven without Jesus, right? He is the end. So how would you answer that question? 
you and Jesus, you're talking, and he's like, hey, what do you want me to do for you? That may be a good one to go home and think about. Jesus asks you, Grant, what do you want me to do for you? Name it. Stephanie, what do you want me to do for you? Marcella, what do you want me to do for you? What's your answer? How are you going to answer that question to Jesus? I tried, um, I started thinking through this question. It's been a while back, apparently, near the beginning of September. What do I want? I said, I want to walk closely with the Lord. I want to reach out. I want to touch him. I want to be consumed by his presence. I want to lead others to taste and see as well. I want to pastor a people genuinely transformed by God. I want to see real growth in our people, not some emotional event, but a real growing relationship. I want for me, for our family, for our church, for the world to experience deeper and more vibrant communion with God. And I want to be connected to it all. And that's where my heart sunk. I want all these things I do, and I know that I want to be connected to them all. I want somehow for the growth of this church to point back to me. And I want somehow for the trans transformation of this city to point back to me. And I realize I'm, I'm just like James and John. I'm using Jesus as a means to the end that I want, not just as the end. In one of uh, J.D. Greer's books, he just talks about how he prayed for revival, much like this. And then he heard God say, hey, J.D., what if I gave Raleigh-Durham revival, but it wasn't through your church? And he was like, mm -mm, hold on, time out, back up. Like, you missed what I was praying for. And so I just, I just think so often when we answer that question from Jesus, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, even in here, it's, it's selfishly motivated. It's selfishly motivated. That's, that's how we're wired. And yet Jesus tells us, he tells the disciples, if you jump back over to 40, 43, 42, he says, man, you see around you the Gentiles, they lord it over them, their great ones exercise authority, right? Like, they, they, the, the great ones, everything they want for themselves, they, they, they posture and position themselves. And Jesus says, but here's, here's the people that are great. Here, here are the ones that are great. The great ones are the servants. The first, the, the chief, the primary, the, the, the top of the org chart, those are the slaves to all. Those are the ones that, that really they're looking out for the interest of others before themselves. Those are the ones that are truly great. And so rather than a selfish motivation, the truly great ones are the selfless ones. In, instead of trying to rise the ranks for myself, the truly great ones are the ones willing to humble themselves and serve the benefit of others over themselves. Those are the great ones. Those are the ones who are first in the kingdom of God, are the ones who are willing to be selfless and to serve others. He gives this word servant. It's, it's literally the word they would use for a waiter. Right? A good waiter, if you've, if you've encountered a good waiter, which surely you have, um, if you came to my restaurant back in the day, you would have gotten decent wait staff, maybe not great, but you know, a good waiter is someone who sees your needs and, and, and moves towards them. 
right? Before you have to be like, hey, can I get another drink? They're already there refilling your drink, right? Before your chip bowl is empty and your salsa's run out, they've already replaced your chips and your salsa. You, so they, they see your needs. Their, their eyes are attentive to you. The server, the servant is, is interested in making sure that you have the best experience possible, right? That's what a good server does is they're taking care of everything. Their hands are involved. They're not just, you've probably had bad servers too, that you're like refilling your own drinks. You're going to get your own napkins because they're just kind of off to the back, kind of doing their own thing. They're not really engaged in your needs and what would make your experience the best. But a good server, man, their eyes are locked in. They're focused on your needs. They're going to do whatever they can do to make your experience great. That's what a good servant is. Jesus says, be a servant like that. Look for the needs of other people. Don't look around them. Don't look past them. Look at them and see their needs and get your hands involved and take care of their needs and serve them. He uses the word slave, someone who is totally captivated by the will of another. Someone whose desire is totally submissive to the will of another of another. And he says, man, posture yourself like a slave. That your interest is not even on the table. You're so concerned with their interests. Your desire is so much to, to better them and to lift them up. Jesus is saying, if you want to be great, which we all do, we all want to be great. We all desire that. If you want to be great, then be a servant. If you want to rise the ranks in the kingdom of God, if you want to sit at the right hand and the left hand, which he says is only is determined, you know, prepared ahead of time. But if you want, if you want to rise the ranks, then be a slave. Take the low seat. Take out the trash and don't whine about it. Do the grunt work that no one else wants to do. Take care of the needs of people around you. Put others ahead of yourself. The great ones are the selfless ones. That's the spirit of Christmas. Selflessness. So how do we become selfless people? How do we take on that heart when it's so unnatural for us? The only way that we can become selfless, the only way that we can become a servant and a slave to all is when we're transformed by the one who first came to serve us. That's it. When we're transformed by Jesus, the one who came to serve us, when he changes our hearts, he makes us new and he gives us a new heart to serve others in the way that he served us. That's the only way that our selfishness dies and our selflessness can grow. It's to be transformed by the one who first came to serve us. That's what Jesus says. Verse, I'm going to read verse, verse 43 and 44 again. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the cup that Jesus was asking James and John about. That's the baptism he's talking about, is this life of service that lays down his life by dying on the cross for the good of others. Only Jesus can do that. 
Jesus, the Son of Man, the King of the world, steps out of heaven, leaves what is rightfully his to come and to serve, to look to your needs and my needs and our interests over his own. That's why Jesus came. That's why we have Christmas, to serve us and to care for our needs. And what I love about the God of this Bible is that he doesn't ask us to do anything that he doesn't first do himself through Jesus. And so when God tells us, hey, go serve others and be a servant to all, he leads the way. He first leads the way by serving us. When he tells us, hey, be a slave to all, like get rid of your interest in your will and lift up the interests and wills of others, Jesus does that first. God doesn't ask us to do that except that he first does it through Jesus. That's an incredible God who does that, who leads the way in serving us. One of my favorite stories of the service of Jesus is John 13. So John 13, starting in verse 1, it's, the, it's before the feast of the Passover when Jesus knew that his hour had come, right? So he's, he's near the end of his life. Verse 2, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God, was going back to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. So the, the first century context, it was commonplace when you walked into someone's home for dinner for them to have a servant or a slave that would literally wash your feet. So walking to and from homes, they didn't, they didn't have cars, they didn't have, they didn't have driveways and streets and, and, and sidewalks and asphalt. They had dirt roads and fields for you to walk through. And the shoe of choice was the jandal. It was just those leather sandals, right, that wrapped around your foot. It wasn't a closed toe shoe. They didn't have boots. They didn't have, they didn't have Nikes, right? They were open-toed shoes. And you're just walking through the heat of Jerusalem to get to your next place. And so you got sweaty, gross feet mixing in with dirt, right? And so you walk into a house, and those feet are nasty. Feet to begin with are not great. Okay, let's start there. Okay, so if you got a foot thing, we should talk, okay? Like, we should work through that. But but you got those nasty, dirty feet just caked in, in, in dirt and dust and manure and whatever else was along the way as you walked to this house. And then you walk in and it's the servant, it's the slave that bends down and washes that with their bare hands. Like, are you kidding me? I don't want to touch your clean feet. I'm not touching your nasty, dirty feet. That's the role of the help. That's the role of the slave, of the servant. You don't even wash your own feet. If a house doesn't have a servant, man, you just let your feet go dirty. You don't, dignify, you don't undignify yourself by bending down and washing your own feet. It just, it just go dirty. And so in this setting, for whatever reason, there, there's not someone to wash the feet. And so Jesus, the guest of honor, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Prince of peace, God in flesh stands up and he grabs a bowl with water and he ties a towel around his waist and then he bends down and he grabs those nasty feet and he starts washing them. He just starts washing that dirt off. The unthinkable act of, of service. 
Man, a normal person didn't do that. Jesus surely wouldn't do that. And yet Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve. And you know what happens, right? You ever wash mud off your hands? Man, it goes everywhere. You got mud all over the sink, right? It gets everywhere. And so you know that when Jesus is washing that off, man, he's getting dirt all over himself. Like their mess is all over him now. He has stepped into their life so closely and so intimately that their dirt is rubbing off on him. And you know what else? Like I, I get, on my best day, I understand washing the feet of 11. But that 12th, the one that he knew would betray him, And he, he still grabs Judas's feet and takes his dirt on him? Like, are you kidding me? He didn't come to be served, he came to serve. That's why he can say, hey, love your enemies. Do good to those who persecute you. Because he's done it. He's done it. And see, what Peter didn't get is Jesus wasn't just washing away the dirt from his feet. Jesus was saying that he was coming to wash away the dirt of his life. And that when Jesus would hang on a cross and his blood would pour out, that it was the blood of Jesus that would wash away the sins of Peter. We have far bigger issues than some dirty feet. We've got a mountain of sin against a holy God that will eternally separate us from him. And the service of Jesus is that he's coming to take our mess upon himself, to move so close to us that our sin would be laid on his shoulders and that he would die to forgive us of our sins. Our, us, his enemies, Actively opposed to him, Jesus died for us to wash our sins away. Because he came not to be served, but to serve. And that's how we receive a heart of service. Is by receiving the service of Jesus. By letting him wash our sins away and being made new. So what about you? What about me? Where are you today? Have you received the service of Jesus to wash your sins away? Because apart from that, nothing else matters. We've got to start there. And the promise of Jesus is that he has come to serve and to take your sins and to forgive them. He's come to serve you. If you've been forgiven, if you've been made new, do you take the posture of a servant? Do you model your Lord and Savior by serving others the way that Jesus served? Do you look out for the interests of others before yourself? Do you care for their good more than your good? 
Do you willingly, do you, this is tough, do you willingly move into the mess of people's lives so that it affects you? Or, or do, you, do you try to serve from a distance? You know, you don't want, it's messy, right? I don't want to get involved in that. Are you willing, like Jesus, to move near and to hold people close as you walk with them, to serve them and to care for them? Are there people that you're willing to serve, but others not so much? Is there anybody in your life today that if placed before you, you'd walk away from rather than serve and care for? Are you willing to lay your life down for the good of others in the same way that Jesus did? And sometimes I think the toughest ones to serve are the people that are closest to us, the people we love the most. We expect more from them. We drop, well, yeah, you know, it doesn't matter. They'll still be here. Jesus came to serve, not to be served, and he calls us to follow him in the same way. And he says, the great ones are the servants, the first are the, the last. And in that, we find the joy of knowing Christ and of walking in his footsteps. Now we can go out here and we can try to muscle our way and grit our way into being servants. But at the end of the day, our nature is selfishness. The only way we become selfless is when we fix our eyes on Jesus and we let him transform our hearts to be more like him. So set your mind on him. Let him transform you. And let's serve people around us in the same way that Christ has served me and has served you. And in the same way that our lives have changed, man, we're going to see lives change for the glory of God and the good of the world. Let's pray together. God, I'm, I am so grateful that, that you came on that first Christmas not to be served and not to not to look for your own position or prominence or status, but Jesus, you came to be a servant, to, to take the back seat, to take the lower place, to, to stoop down into the mess of my life and wash me clean so that you can pick me up. God, if I don't get that, if I don't see that you came to serve me, then I'll never be changed. But when I see that, when I get that and know that, God, you can change my life. I pray that that will be true of this church, that we will be a people who serve others in the same way that you served us, that we will not discriminate on who gets our service and our care, but that we will willingly and freely give it away. God, you're really kind to us and we're thankful that you loved us and served us first.
Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.